Greetings and welcome to another episode of Catholic Health USA, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association. I'm your host, Brian Reardon, and with me in Clayton Studios in St. Louis, Missouri, is my co-host, Marianne Steiner. Marianne, good to see you again. Good to see you, Brian. It's been a while. It's been, what, two months? I think so, yeah. So it's good to be back with you having another conversation on this episode I'm, I'm excited about. It's uh, going to be about the current issue of health progress. Uh, the fall 2020 issue is Nurses Lead the Way. Um, Marianne, tell us a little bit about the, the issue of, of health progress. You know, we had planned this issue of health progress more than a year ago because of the International Year of the Nurse and Midwife, and it was uh, a fitting topic for Health Progress to take on because Health Progress, as the magazine of the Catholic Health Association, owes its largest debt to nurses. You know, it's nurses, it was nursing sisters who basically formed the organization. So this was something we had planned all along. We, like the rest of the world, had not planned COVID-19. And so the fact that they came together um, and that COVID-19 made the year of the nurse uh, a very different kind of um, recognition than we originally planned is something that we um, we really wanted to document. And so two of our authors from the issue are joining us uh, for this conversation. Uh, our first guest is Kathy Sanford. She's the Executive Senior Vice President and Chief Nursing Officer for Common Spirit Health. And Kathy wrote the article, Nurses in Executive Practice, a Specialty for Today and Tomorrow. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. I, I think this is a wonderful thing that you're doing well, to thanks. talk yeah. about nursing. We're glad to have you. Where are you coming from? To You're out, out, out in the Northwest? Well, today I'm in Seattle. Okay. So uh, with the COVID, I have, we've been working from home and we have hospitals up here, but that's not normally where I am. Chicago is my normal office, but today I'm in Seattle at home. Well, great. Thanks for joining us. Our other guest is Sister Rosemary Donnelly. She is professor of nursing at Duquesne University, where she holds the Jacques Laval Chair for Justice for Vulnerable Populations. And Sister Rosemary wrote the article, Reshaping the future of nursing education. Welcome, Sister Rosemary. And where are you coming from? Uh, I'm coming from uh, southwestern Pennsylvania, specifically Greensburg, which is where our mother house is. I was um, here at the end of spring break when everything around me closed on. Um, the place where I live, St. Joseph's House of Hospitality, place where I work, Duquesne University. And so I've been here um, in this beautiful, uh, beautiful, beautiful environment since March. Well, we're glad you could join us. And I, I don't think there's been much going on in Pennsylvania, so I'm sure it's pretty pretty quiet there. <laughs> so, Mary Ann, do you want to kick us off? Sure. I want to go back to that idea that 2020 was, was declared the year of the nurse and midwife by the World Health Organization. Um, and as I said, it's been an extraordinary year of COVID, too, which has both reinforced the importance of nurses, but it's also stretched them to the limit. I, you know, I was listening to NPR as I was getting uh, ready this morning, and there was an interview with a nurse who sounded just close to tears about what was what was coming at them yet again. Um, Sister Rosemary, you talked about this in, in your article. So would you tell us about the suggestions that you have for nurses uh, in this COVID world and maybe even in the post-COVID world? Well, um, when you asked me um, to write about that, I thought, oh my, uh, this is a novel question uh, because 
if you think about how we've looked at nursing, hospital nursing, community-based nursing, we've been on a trajectory where there's change, but not, not the kind of change that we're going to see in the future. And I felt like I was walking in sand uh, where there were no footprints in front of me. And so I, I tried my best. Um, I don't know whether any of the things that I said or I thought will come true. Maybe they were my hopes. And the hope that we would begin to take prevention, public health nursing more seriously, talking schools of nursing, hospitals recognized a long time ago that the health of the community became um, the health of the hospital. Mm -hmm. But schools of nursing have still been working off a medical model. Um, the role of the state board that writes the NCLEX exam has um, encouraged that because most of the questions are on acute care. So one of my hopes for the future is that the people who work at the various state boards around the country um, can begin to reconceptualize what nursing is like and what the examination should be like to be licensed as a nurse based on the scary and challenging and sometimes wonderful experience of COVID. I'm going to segue there because I think that what you've mentioned about what needs to be included in nursing relates to what Kathy wrote about in terms of specialties in nursing. And so in mm -hmm. some ways, it sounds to me that nursing could get so large that you couldn't really do a full nursing program of education with the breadth of things you're talking about. So, Kathy, I'd like to hear what you'd have to say about what um, what nurses are doing in terms of specialization um, in those kinds of areas where they affect uh, acute care, public health, um, administration, and, then the, and those kinds of specialties. Thank you for asking. And Sister Rosemary, I loved what you're saying about, about education because I was educated long enough ago that we did cover those subjects uh -huh. and we've, we've stopped covering them because there's so much to know now, I think. Uh, there's just so much to know in nursing that you cannot cover it all, Marianne, and that, that was a, a, a good thing that you pointed out. So that's probably why so many nurses go on for master's degrees and doctorates because they go into their specialties and learn more about it. Uh, specialties, uh, I, I did mention in my article, uh, what you're talking about right now is that most people don't understand how specialties is just being specialists is a big part of nursing now because there is so much and there are things that we learn and know that are different for each of those specialties. So for example, a behavioral health nurse couldn't be taken one day to the med surge unit and be asked to perform because that is not his or her specialty. A critical care nurse could not be taken to a med surge nurse and be asked to perform because a critical care nurse is used to concentrating on one person, not five or six. A pediatric nurse would not be very good at geriatrics. So we have all these different specialties and we need the education for it, but it can't all be done in the undergraduate degree. A nurse is not a nurse is not a nurse. However, and I'd love to know what Sister Rosemary thinks about that. We have some very basic things that make you a nurse. I love being with nurses. I identify with nurses because we have something really basic 
And Sister Rosemary, forgive me, you may not agree with this, but I think it's very similar to what women religious have. And so I think that women religious and nurses naturally are friends and allies and understand each other. And that is a combination of science and art and understanding that we are working for something that is greater than ourselves mm -hmm. and an understanding that we have to understand not only all of the things that sister was talking about, about the, uh, the science and the medical models, we have to understand the nursing model, which is more about the whole person, mm -hmm. everything about a person, all the things we're talking about right now today, about equity of care, about finding out about social determinants, that's basic nursing. Uh, years ago when I graduated and I was a diploma grad, the night I graduated or the day I graduated, I could have worked anywhere in the hospital. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do that today. No one could. And so um, this idea of, you know, moving people from unit to unit and a float pool, that, that's gone, long gone. Um, and yet, uh, when you look at the community, everybody's out in the community. And so how do you use the evidence we have? And we have less than we have we need. How do you use that? And I think the social determinants of health that Kathy mentioned are an incredible way to build a curriculum. I think you have to think of the whole person. It's not, and this is a problem with specialization, it's not just the person's broken arm. The broken arm can change everything. The age of the patient, his or her race or gender can change everything. And if you don't take that into account, you miss, you miss nursing, you miss the beauty of nursing and the excitement of it. And you, you miss the fact to get to know the person. And today people are in and out of hospitals. And I'm sure it's not just the emergency room nurses that have a constant changeover of patients. It's the nurses on the units too and on the floors, maybe the specialty unit, the ICUs, the PICUs. Um, pediatric intensive care units, the patients may stay longer, but it's very hard. Often when you come back after a day or two off, you have most of your patients you've never seen before. And I'm sure Kathy can speak to that. And that's a challenge. It is, it is. And because of that, Marianne, to your question, the specialties are important because the things you need to know about the medical side, the, the side that's uh, the disease and the science, there's only so much you can learn. Mm -hmm. But the art, the art, the caring about people as whole people, that goes across all specialties. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the beauties of this, this profession. So in terms of COVID, you, I think you both independently made the point in your articles that there's not a nurse out there who was trained to deal with COVID because we didn't know about COVID. And I think you both expressed a lot of concerns about what needs to go into a nursing education or ongoing training for nurses in practice that um, not only teaches them the clinical things that they might need to know in caring for COVID patients, but also what they need to do about infectious disease and care for themselves and um, you know, avoiding if they can compassion fatigue or moral distress. Um, how do you how do you feel like your your health system, Kathy, 
or your school of nursing, Sister Rosemary, are dealing with those novel situations that nurses haven't had to deal with before? Well, I have to say that we have dealt pretty well with infectious diseases before. We have universal precautions. The HIV, uh, I lived through the HIV uh, and AIDS, and and we learned a lot there, and we became universal precautions. So we're pretty good about infectious, infectious diseases in the hospital. What was different about COVID was the way it was spreading outside of the hospital and what needed to be done in the in the whole community to protect the whole community, which is which is to Sister Rosemary's point about public health and about understanding what we need to do outside. But in the community, we were pretty well, pretty good about it. And then the compassion fatigue we've been trying to deal with for decades. We've, uh, as well as burnout, I, I <laughs> writing before COVID, there was a big deal about how physicians were getting burned out before COVID. Mm -hmm. And it was like this was a new invention, a new disease. Mm -hmm. I collect literature. I I love nursing history. So I collect uh, uh, both fiction and nonfiction books. And I used to do speeches where I would go and cover up the date and read things to audiences and say, when did this happen? And they'd go, oh, well, it's a trick question. It must've been 10 years ago. No, it was a hundred years ago. You know, uh, some things have never changed and we are working on it and need to work on it better. And the way we're doing it for COVID, because I think that was the point of your question, is we are taking some special um, special actions right now. So, for example, we have put out uh, for all of our people, we have, we have at Common Spirit Health, we have 45,000 frontline nurses because we're a large system and we're across the, we're across the whole country. So from the national office, we work with our nurse executives across the system to figure out what we can do. And one of the things that we did was we put out playbooks and toolkits about day-to-day things that you can do to talk to your staff, to refresh them, to, to, to show that you appreciate them and that they're important and and advice for what things they ought to be doing at home as well. And I think in your article, you actually uh, highlighted that, that there really is a unique role for nurse leaders uh, t- to understand these challenges that, that nurses on the, on the front lines are dealing with. Yeah, yes, there is. Uh, and, and I think the ones, I know that the nurse execs in the hospitals, they do know what's going on. But the further you get from the bedside, the more you need to hear the voice of the bedside because that's one of the things that nurse leaders have to do is they have to be a bridge between those who are actually caring for patients and those who are making hospital policy and deciding what's going to be done in the hospitals. If there isn't that voice from the bedside to the corporate halls and from the corporate halls to the bedside, you have a disjointed organization and we aren't doing the right thing for all of our patients if we don't have that. And so it is the uh, educated nurse executive, nurse leader who can do that well, caring about what's happening to patients, but also caring about deeply about those people who are caring for the patients. And and this is a question for both of you. Do you think, you know, back in the the 40s, 50s, and 60s, uh, we had religious women leading hospitals. They were the the CEOs and presidents. Many of them, uh, probably almost all, had uh, a nursing background. And as we've gotten away from having women religious in those leadership roles at the hospital and system level, do you think there's a need then to sort of um, 
kind of reinsert the role of nurses in leadership so that what you just described, Kathy, isn't lost. Sister, did you have a thought about that before I jump back well, in? Um, uh, I was educated in a school of nursing um, diploma that was run by the Catholic sisters, the Sisters of Charity of Seton Hill that I eventually entered. Or I had entered before, actually. I was a uh, second-year novice when I went through nursing school. Um, but the administrator of the hospital had been a nurse, a bedside nurse, and the director of nursing was obviously a nurse. Uh, when I did my baccalaureate degree at St. Louis University, St. Mary's Healthcare System, um, the dean was a nurse, and uh, the someone, and obviously the people in the hospitals were nurses. But that that's all changed, and. Um, I've never gone to business school, so I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know what is taught, um, but it's more than the business. It's more than the numbers. I mean, the patients are people, and the nurses are people, and the aides are people, and the doctors are people, too. <laughs> and um, somehow or other, um, we're there for a, a very um, well-defined mission, but how we lead. That's an art and a science. You're absolutely right, Kathy. And uh, I would say that we gained uh, we gained something when we brought business into the hospitals because we do have to be a business. We we simply have to. And no mission, no to, margin, no margin. That's exactly right. We all know. Iron that. Cross, Mr. Iron Cross. That's exactly right. And we lost something uh, mm -hmm. when it left when clinical people no longer led at the top. We gained and we lost. We gained the business, but over time, we seem to have forgotten that kindness and loving and caring and touching patients does not equal lack of intelligence. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that seems to be an issue in some of our organizations. And I'm not saying Catholic organizations, I'm saying all organizations. Mm -hmm. I, I, I personally, I think that that's a societal issue too, mm -hmm. that we think that people um, who are loving and kind aren't as smart as those who aren't. It's a subconscious bias, I believe, which has resulted in some very, very bright people who we could have had at the top not getting there because mm -hmm. of their profession. So I, I give an example of that because someone asked me to write an article recently about nurses on boards, and I was shocked to find out that um, over the years, in 2011, 6% of nurses on hospital boards, 6% of the people on hospital boards were nurses. In 2014, it was 5%. In 2019, it was 4%. So when we talk about diversity on our boards, we need to also think about the people who are actually touching patients. They have so much that they could tell us, so much that they could help us with. And for some reason, that has gone away. So I researched that to find out why. And, uh, you know, Sister Rosemary, I learned in school you had to research things. So thanks to my, my professors um, that there are a lot of opinions about that. Well, but one of the reasons is that we look for people on boards who have influence and we don't think that nurses have influence. Mm -hmm. I think it's tremendously sad since, you know, the Gallup poll for year after year after year after year says nurses are the most trusted profession mm -hmm. in America, but they don't have influence. 
So that's a very interesting thing for us to think about as we look in our Catholic hospitals founded by women, sisters, many of them. I know that uh, there were men involved also, but many of our hospitals were founded by sisters. We especially should be taking the lead to make sure that uh, the diversity includes people who actually touch patients and care about patients or have touched patients if they're not doing it now because many of the people who are touching patients are too busy to be on boards because they're uh, so active. You know, that's an amazing irony to me that the people who are the most trusted don't have influence. I mean, if I wanted to get, if I needed to find the person that I could influence my care, I'd want somebody that I could trust, right? So, the, and, and I'm going to tell you a personal story. I had, uh, my son was in the hospital this year, and we spent a lot of time in in hospitals. And they would do rounds in the morning, and I would, you know, meekly follow behind to hear what they had to say. And the nurses said very little. The doctor would lead the discussion, and sometimes the doctor would ask a particular nurse a question, and the nurse would supply some information. But once the rounds left and went to the other side of the hall, I always knew who to go to. It wasn't the doctor. You know, it was always the nurse. And there's something that hospitals and systems need to do about to maximize that trust um, into a level of, of influence, don't you think? Uh, there's just some things that we need to do better in all of our hospitals, and that is including nurses at tables, making sure that when you look around and you're making decisions, that there's a nurse there if it has to do with healthcare. It's uh, trying some of the things that the magnet hospitals do. You don't have to be a magnet hospital to do this, but shared governance so that you have a say in your practice. We also need to be sure, and I'm going to say it again, that we educate our nurse leaders and our other leaders because um, without great leadership, we will not ever have what we need to have in healthcare. I think from an educator point of view that we have to help our students find their voice, which means that we as teachers have to sometimes stop talking at them and telling them all the specialties in medicine and what they can learn. Um, But we need to listen to them and help them formulate their thoughts, um, speak a language that they're comfortable with, but that's also understandable. Um, And uh, that is a challenge. I also think that um, what we try to do, and this is back a little bit, to address burnout or fatigue or moral distress, is we help the students talk about it. And we have a wonderful what should I say, teaching methodology and teaching clinical nursing, bedside nursing, where we have smaller groups. Now, right now, because of COVID in the city of Pittsburgh, the ratio between faculty and students is one to four. So for every four students we have in patient care, we have one faculty with them. And it's not to see how many things they could do, how many medicines they could pass, It's to say, what's going on? How are you feeling? How's your patients feeling? If you were in charge, if you were in charge, what would you change and why? And so it's early beginnings to have them look, not to become critics, but to become agents of improvement and agents of change. And they have to see that not everything works. Indeed. 
I think this conversation really has honored uh, the year of the nurse. It, it helped put a spotlight on a lot of um, issues, challenges, and opportunities uh, for the profession. Um, I can speak. My mom was a nurse, so I have a great deal of uh, admiration for the profession. I think both of you really did a nice job of highlighting, uh, particularly in this in the middle of a pandemic, uh, the vital role that this profession plays in our overall healthcare system. So to wrap up, um, I would ask each of you just in maybe you know 15, 20 seconds, if you could just tell us um, what do you see for the profession and where does it need to go uh, as we get out of this pandemic and we look to the future? So I'll start with you, Sister Rosemary. I think we have to use use it as a uh, teaching moment and a learning moment. Um, what have we learned from this? Um, I guess that the world is not ours and we don't have the kind of control over disease that we thought we had. And that's a humbling experience. But I also think we have to have hope, hope for the future. And we need to encourage our young people to think seriously about careers in the helping professions, especially nursing. Um, and I'm sure you've all seen this, um, some ad or some um, statement that says, if you save a life, you're a hero. But if you save a hundred lives, you're a nurse. <laughs> I love it. Kathy? So we have a history of adopting and adapting. Nursing has always done that. And we're going to have to adapt new things going into the future. So the future for nursing, I believe, is very bright. Um, Leland Kaiser, who was a futurist a few years ago, said that we were coming into the golden age of nursing. And I think that's true. Because I believe that people are understanding that it is the whole person. I do think that people understand that we need to change and that we need to use new tools. So nurses in the future, still be nurses. We'll be using a lot more technology. We'll actually be practicing nursing virtually. I think there'll be about half the nurses who are virtual nurses and half that are hands-on. We will always need the hands-on though because it is a hands-on profession. So I believe that the future is very bright. I think we'll just continue to adapt. We'll learn, we'll change, we'll do whatever people need because um, some people think that this is a little corny, but I'm going to say it. Nursing is about love. It's about loving people and caring about whole people. And we're always going to need it, and we're going to need it even more in the future. So thanks for asking. Well, it's easy to see why you're optimistic, because I think if, te if nursing students are being taught and led by someone like Sister Rosemary and being shaped executively by people like you, Kathy, that it can't help but have a good future. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you both for taking time out. I think it was a great conversation. Kathy Sanford, Executive Senior Vice President and Chief Nursing Officer for Common Spirit Health, and Sister Rosemary Donnelly, Professor of Nursing at Duquesne University. Thank you both for being with us. Uh, thank you for your advocacy uh, on behalf of all the nurses across the country and the world. And again, I think, as I said before, this is a a great conversation to honor this year that really, fortunately, the spotlight got taken off of the year of the nurse because of COVID. But I think um, what we learned in over the last uh, half an hour or so is how nurses have, have stepped up and, and helped. And hopefully going forward as, as we train nurses and, and shape leaders, um, when the next pandemic hits, um, nurses will have even a stronger role in, in helping our, our patients and our communities. So thank you both for being with us. Thank you. And that's another issue, or another episode, I should say, of Catholic Health USA, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association. I'm Brian Reardon, and as always with me was Marianne Steiner. Uh, and until next time, we'll talk to you.